Hello, pet lovers, and welcome back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets and the people who love them, sponsored by WebDVM, typed into your browser as web-dvm.net. Again, that's web-dvm.net. They are our sponsor, and I just realized that our intro has not been working. Uh, we just realized that just prior to going to record this episode, very sorry about that. But just to remind everyone, our sponsors are very important to us. They help to keep the show funded and going. WebDVM is actually a website that I was the founder of, and I run a blog through there. You have a lot of free veterinary information resources and links, a symptom checker, so you can see what may be going on with your dog or cat that may be showing signs of illness. And there is even a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week emergency consultation option there. And uh, where we differ a little bit from the radio show is a lot of the content that I post at web-dvm.net goes into a bit more detail. It enables you to go ahead and, and post your own comments. There's a lot of chatter about the various things that I write about. And of course, there's a lot more things that I write about than I necessarily talk about here on the air. So please uh, give it a visit. And uh, we are going to be working on getting our intro back online, back up to speed. In the meantime, my name is Roger Welton. For those of you who are new to the show, I am a practicing veterinarian and I'm coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. Very important topic tonight. A lot of chatter about it. We're talking about the Purina class action lawsuit. So for those of you who don't not aware of it, company Purina makes a diet called Beneful. Beneful is a vegetarian-based diet that has some degree of popularity in the commercial dog food world. And as of late, they've gotten some pretty bad press. Now the question is, is it fair? Is it not fair? As a practicing veterinarian, what do I think about the news? Is it credible? Is the lawsuit credible? And is this something we should legitimately worried about, concerned about? Purina says there is no problem, but a lot of people say that there is indeed a problem and are taking measures to punitively go after Purina for the loss of their dogs as a result of eating the diet. So let's talk about <clears throat> the situation and what folks are claiming. Again, Purina's position is there never has been any problems, and it is all just complete circumstantial evidence, and in the end, they will be exonerated. But from the perspective of a lot of other people, within days to weeks of eating the diet, that there was a sudden decline in health and death. So... When you have a lot of claims, now we don't always necessarily assume that a lot of claims translates to a realistic situation. Sometimes you get a few reports and then it hits the media. As soon as things hit the media, you get a lot of bandwagon people that jump on and say, you know, come to think of it, I fed my dog Beneful, you know, like six months ago and, you know, he he died uh, yesterday, you know, and it's like, okay. That's not credible, but but in this situation, are are there credible reports? Now, I wrote an article about this, and and you can again catch that at the blog. In the article, I talked I talked about my primary source for the information I gathered for this whole story, 
And that's from an, uh, an article that was written by NBC. And I checked all of the information on there, and it is all accurate. So, you know, certainly you could check out the blog to get a little bit more in-depth on what I wrote about it. But also there's that NBC article, that the actual title of the article escapes me. But it was very, very good. So what people are claiming is that there are two scenarios where <clears throat> this particular diet has caused the death of dogs, their, their own dogs. One of the claims is that there is propylene glycol in the diet. Propylene glycol is a food additive. It's commonly used as a means to help deliver nutrients, to help to texture food, to deliver medications in the case of food animals. I remember when I did the food animal rotations, the large animal farm calls, we used quite a little bit of propylene glycol to treat cattle. The propylene glycol is also a very commonly used nebulizing agent that is used in medicine. Nebulizing agent is an agent that is used to be converted into a mist. And within that mist, you could put important medication, such as bronchodilators. So in the case of dogs or cats or people that have chronic airway disease, you can actually treat the lungs directly by putting medication into propylene glycol or other media that will absorb the medication and deliver it to the lungs when inhaled. So propylene glycol has a lot of uses. It's in a lot of also cosmetics. So it's very common. And so what folks are claiming is that <clears throat> we know that ethylene glycol is the active ingredient or a toxic ingredient in antifreeze. And one of the common, more common toxicities we see in dogs is antifreeze poisoning because dogs really enjoy the taste of antifreeze. And antifreeze leaks happen in cars, especially older cars. They puddle on the street. The dogs sniff it. Ethylene glycol has a sweet taste, sweet smell that the dogs cannot resist. They lick it up. They go into liver and kidney failure. I'm sorry, kidney failure. Liver could be could could end up toxic, but the the treatment for it involves the liver. That's where my brief confusion was. But the primary assault is on the kidneys. Ethylene glycol, make no mistake, is very toxic. But ethylene glycol and propylene glycol are both are both derived from very similar molecules. You're talking about a couple of carbon chains that make a difference between propylene glycol and ethylene glycol. In fact, there's only one, one, a one carbon difference between the two molecules. So yes, they are chemically very similar, but, but because there's propylene glycol, again, a very common FDA-approved food additive in the Beneful, is that legitimately a source of these causes of death? Well, I would say as a veterinarian and Previously to my veterinary education, I was also a biochemist. I worked quite a bit with ethylene glycol and propylene glycol, understand the chemical structures of them, and understand why just one carbon chain makes such a difference in the molecule and its biological effect. I would have to throw out that argument 
as a cause of death with Beneful. <clears throat> it's just uh, does not seem realistic to me when you just think about the science of it, especially because there's so many other uses of propylene glycol that you don't hear boo about. So from that perspective, I would say propylene glycol is a cause of death from Beneful. I, 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 would, I would discard that. Uh, but I'm not saying that some of these claims are not legitimate because there's more to this story. So <clears throat> one of the other claims is that there are mycotoxins present in the food. Mycotoxins are toxic elements that are created by certain kinds of molds and fungus. And they can be quite deadly. We do know that foods not necessarily uncommonly can go rancid. And in the process of going rancid, we can see them grow mold or fungus. And most certainly, the mold or fungus can produce mycotoxins. So the question is, is this a legitimate argument? And from my perspective is, if there truly was contaminated food, food that had gone rancid and grew mold or grew fungus, then it is certainly plausible that that could be a cause of death. In fact, it's happened before, not necessarily with Benefil, but with other diets. So the question is, how legitimate are these? Well, <clears throat> this is a scenario that might have hit home to my own clinic, it's, it's not very common that things that happen that make national news necessarily make it to the everyday career business of veterinary medicine of your average veterinarian. Most of the time we're reading about these things. They don't actually happen in your own clinic in your little own microcosm of veterinary reality. But in this case, there may be a legitimate claim here. Let me take you back several months. There was a dog. Can't say his name. Can't say the owner's name. Confidentiality. But let's just say that one of the loveliest dogs I've ever had the pleasure to know, to treat. Wonderful owner who lives for her dogs, who would do anything for them. One of the kindest, most, most dedicated dog owners I've ever had the pleasure to know. Suddenly her dog took ill, and she, there was really no real explanation for it. Liver enzymes spiked. Dog was a little bit jaundiced. Jaundice is a common consequence of liver disease. My associate was primarily involved with this case, but eventually it became so complex that I had to get involved and step in on many occasions uh, to consult with my associate, but also because he's not always there, and this was such a precarious case, it went down so many different turns and ups and downs and roller coaster ride that there was many occasions where I would see this particular dog through the course of the treatment and diagnosis. I'll cut to the chase here. This dog had the liver disease, and my associate, Dr. Fogelberg, did a ultrasound on him and found a mass. Now, of course, our first thinking is cancer, even though it's only a five-year-old dog. Cancer sometimes does happen in younger animals. You don't expect it, but it happens. So that was his primary thought. He did what's called a fine needle biopsy, where he actually just used the ultrasound probe to guide a needle down into that mass, took a piece of it, sent it off 
And lo and behold, the sample came back as a fungal granuloma. Granuloma is an inflammatory, focal inflammatory reaction that leads to the formation of a mass. It's not cancer, but it is a growing mass. And within the granuloma, the reason they knew it was fungal is because the pathologist saw what are called fungal hyphae. Hyphae are these strand-like projections that we commonly see emanating from fungi. So we had a case of fungal hepatitis. My associate asked me, have you ever seen this in your entire career? I said, no. He said, neither have I. This is his 17th year in practice. This is my 13th year in practice. Neither of us had ever seen this. We're talking about a combined, a combined, well, I got to add that up, <laughs> combined uh, 30 years practice, all right, between the two of us. And neither of us has seen the situation. In fact, it's so rare. It was even hard to find information on it and what fungal organisms cause it. So now, now armed with this information, Dr. Fogelberg went back in with ultrasound-guided biopsy again. This time, the goal of the sample was to send it off to have it cultured so we can grow whatever it is and get an identity and figure out what's going to be most effective to kill it. One of the frustrating aspects of fungus is that fungus does not grow well in artificial media. It's very difficult and challenging to grow. It could take a very long time. There are many cases where we're not successful at all. So we send out the sample and hope for the best. Hope we can get an identity. The other frustrating thing about fungal infections is that they can be particularly difficult to clear. Usually you're looking at weeks to months of treatment with fung antifungal medicines that can be quite toxic to the liver. So in this case, we started the patient on itraconazole. <clears throat> itraconazole is a commonly used veterinary antifungal. The dog started to improve. Never quite got back to normal, but started to improve. We got a meeting again. He went through different phases and different weeks. One week, he would be having a very good week. The owner was very optimistic. Then he'd have a really tough few days. There's a lot of ups and downs, and it went on for a few months. Eventually, we, we lost the battle, and he had to be put to sleep. We tried everything. He was not tolerating the antifungal medication any longer, and the fungus was continuing to progress. And he was getting sicker and sicker, and eventually the owner did the humane thing and, and threw in the towel and made the merciful decision of humane euthanasia. Now, the fungus never grew. We never knew the identity of it. We kind of just chalked it up to some anomalous event, something weird that occurred, something we'll probably never see again in our careers, but very, 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 very strange. There's a lot of marshlands here in Florida. There's a lot of intracoastal waterways. And this dog spent a lot of time in places where there was marshland and intracoastal little beaches and things like that. And the assumption was he picked up something strange in the course of his lifestyle. Of course, the owner has another dog, was never touched by this. So interestingly enough, 
We close that chapter. We all move on. As tragic as it was, the owner moved on. Well, about, I want to say three, four weeks ago, I get a call from the owner who says, have you heard the thing about Purina and Beneful at the time? I will be quite honest with you. I had not yet heard. But she shared the article with me that she had read, the NBC article, and she said, I got to tell you something that I never, it never really occurred to me to be relevant here and what happened to my dog. But here's the reality. She goes, I was feeding both my dogs Beneful. And she said, I, I bought a new bag from the grocery store and I go to feed it to my dogs and the one dog, the one that's still alive, refused to eat it, which is weird because this particular dog's not very finicky. But the other one, the one that was deceased, did eat the diet. And this, you know, the, the dog that was deceased, you know, according to her, she he would eat cardboard if you fed it to him. So he's even more of a less picky dog, which is why he seemed to re- more readily go for it. She didn't really think much to it, but she figured maybe something made my dog go off his appetite and kept feeding it to the other dog. And, you know, a couple days went by and she thought, you know what, this isn't just a an isolated thing. I mean, he really doesn't want to eat it. Meanwhile, the diseased dog continued to eat it. So she then <clears throat> takes a closer look at the food, looked okay. And she smelled it. And she just said the smell was so off. So off. She was even surprised the other dog had eaten it. But not surprised that the uh, the dog that refused it refused it because it smelled so bad. She rolled up the, the bag and took it back to the grocery store. There's still a lot of it left in the bag. And they took it back because she said, smell this food. They smelled and said, whoa, that is not right. So the, the staff at the grocery store also agreed and she kept that receipt. She doesn't recall why back then she kept that receipt, but she kept it and she still has it. So she asked me, hey, listen, I don't know if there's necessarily a cause and effect here, but right now, this is the one thing that may connect the dots that might explain why my dog had such an unusual event and is now dead before the age of six. She said they mentioned mycotoxins in the article. She said, my dog had a fungal granuloma. We confirmed the diagnosis. The time frame of eating the food to diagnosis was, I want to say, about a month. And that is a period of time by which there could be a cause and effect where the ingestion of this food led to that granuloma if it was contaminated with a fungus that had the ability to seed itself in the body. I can't tell you that for certain. My experience with such an event is so uncommon that I'm far from certain. And I certainly don't want to indicate that I'm committing to the fact that this is a conclusive circumstance. But it all seems way too coincidental to dismiss it. I believe this owner is going to pursue the group that is involved in this class action lawsuit and see if she can get satisfaction for what she believes was a cause of death of her dog. I will say in, in, in my client's case, she has a credible argument there 
And that is something to definitely take seriously. And I think that it's something that Purina really needs to take seriously. Because this is not a frivolous claim. This is a very credible person, very credible events that are documented. The return of the dog food is documented. And there's no disputing. The timing definitely smells funny. Now, how that translates eventually in court of law, I don't know. But I think it gives us pause to really think, sit back and, and realize that some of these claims may be legitimate. And that's where, you know, we have to sort of sift through the, the accurate claims and the, and the ones that don't seem so credible. So I know one particular owner that was quoted in the article, she said that the, she actually followed up with a necropsy. In people, a post-mortem examination, an after-death examination to determine the cause of death is called an autopsy. In, in dogs or cats or animals, period, it's called a necropsy. And she actually had a necropsy done by her veterinarian, and the cause of death was not linked to the food. And she's actually quoted saying, but I know in my heart it was the food that killed him. Well, to me... This is a very emotional, very distraught owner, and I don't want to make light of that. But at the same time, you have no scientific proof. Certainly not, it's not a situation like, like what my client des- described and what my client went through. And making a statement like, I know in my heart it was the food that killed my dog. To me, that's not credible. To me, that's not credible at all because I know in my heart is not hard science. I know in my heart is not proof. I know in my heart is not something that any jury is going to take seriously. So as much as my heart goes out to that lady who lost her dog, I don't believe she has a credible argument. So it's going to be up to the prosecution, I think, to sift through the credible claims. I think eventually enough scientific experts are going to come in and probably state that you're probably barking up the wrong tree with the consideration that propylene glycol is the toxic agent in that diet. But I think mycotoxins, that's something to take a look at and something that could be realistic. So am I necessarily berating this diet? Am I saying that they're the devil? Am I saying that they're trying to cover up a wrongdoing? No, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that. I am saying that it is possible that there could be some death, so, some fatalities related to a contaminating organism that infiltrated some of these batches of diet that might have led to fungal infection and or mycotoxin toxicity. And, and, and these are the facts of the case. So, you know, I'm going to be really interested to see the comments that re- result Uh, from this because I know like the trifexis controversy which I was very clear was not credible you know this this has some legs to it because there are some veterinarians out there that are saying you know what we got to really take a look at this and take it pretty seriously because there are some credible accounts here so wanted to clarify that and really wanted to sift through all the information and misinformation that's out there because I know a lot of people are wondering. A lot of veterinary clinics are getting a lot of questions. 
that the veterinarians don't necessarily have the answers to. So I hope that helps clarify for everybody what is going on and what may or may not result from this. But from my perspective, it is it is credible. So that is my show for this evening. I thank you all for joining me. And I look forward to our next chat. We will be talking about the topic, you get what you pay for version two. <laughs> Stay tuned for what that means and what that entails. In the meantime, please email me. I haven't heard from any of you in a while. You can email me at comments at web-dvm.net. Comments at web-dvm.net. I will take those comments if it's a question or just a contributing comment to what we talk about here on the show. I'd be happy to read them on the air. Thanks again for your participation and have a great evening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.